This is the Sensitive Rebel Podcast, and I'm your host, Steve McCready. Join me for conversations with people who see possibilities that compel them to go against the status quo, but who sometimes struggle to do so because of the noise and norms of the world. I call them Sensitive Rebels, and we'll discuss the challenges, successes, and lessons from their journeys as they keep moving forward in their quest to make a difference in the world. Hey, Sensitive Rebel, I hope you're well. Joe Perone is an executive consultant who helps business owners and professionals find freedom from stress and overwhelm. He's an expert in creating free time and eliminating burnout. You'll hear about Joe's journey in growing an auto repair business and what led to his pivot towards consulting and coaching. And we'll also be discussing time and the keys to creating more time and time freedom in your life on this episode of the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. How's it going, Joe? Steve, so great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, Joe, tell me, what are you rebelling against? I'm rebelling against the notion that we have to work 50, 60, 70 hours a week just to be successful. We have to abandon our families. We have to abandon our passions. We have to abandon any dreams or high hopes that we had in order to achieve this thing that we call success. That is a rebellion I can definitely get behind. So let's talk some about how that came to be a topic that is is such a focus and really a mission for you because it really is kind of the fundamental core, right, of the work that you're doing now. But let's wind back. When did you start to become aware about time and time being an issue and that are just not being enough for things beyond work? Back in 2014 was was a pretty big year for me personally. I had, we just gotten married and we had one son on the way just taken a beautiful honeymoon to Greece, had just purchased our building that our business was in and finished the purchase of our business and making quite a bit of money, more money than I ever made in my life. On the surface, things really looked great. Busy was my proverbial badge of honor. I didn't know how to say no. I didn't have any boundaries. It was just as fast as I can go, as much as I can take in, as much as I can do and say yes to. And well, Steve, I hit a wall. I had a pretty big wall and the thoughts of, well, is this all there is? And this is all I'll ever be. And I'm just going to be busy all the time. And how am I going to bring a son into this world? And, you know, I'm home at six, seven o'clock at night. I'm, I leave for the office at seven o'clock in the morning. When am I going to have time to see him? When am I going to have time to support my wife who now is going to be home with this child? Are we going to send him to daycare? Like, what is our plan? And I thought so much about that and it kind of stayed in the background. And what was really challenging for me was also from the financial piece, I was doing really good, but I didn't feel it. I didn't feel successful at all. I felt like a shallow person. I I had an anger issue. I I love to blame people. Steve, I could find anyone to blame from any of my problems. And it took a toll on me physically. And one day in the middle of a a work day, high stress environment. We fix uh, cars that have been involved in an accident and everything's time sensitive. And I, I just collapsed in the middle of uh, the floor at my business and my business partner had to bring me to the emergency room. So that physical response to everything else that had been going on in my life was, was really when I realized that something had to change. It sounds like there was a buildup to that. And I'm wondering how long were you aware of some of these feelings of, is this all there is? How is this going to be sustainable and all of that? 
And what would you say got in the way of you listening to those thoughts and feelings sooner? I was in a a comparison model. So it was really for a long time that these feelings had been coming up. When I was an employee, I was looking to get that next promotion and get that next to that next level because then I'll be happy at that next level. And that next level would always come and I would never feel any more successful. And I would have doubts at that point. And then we bought our business. I said, that's the day that I'm going to feel successful. We're going to go out, we're going to celebrate. And that's the day that I'm going to feel successful. Wrong again. Even with, with on the personal side, proposed to my wife, we, we get married. Finally, you know, I, I'm established. I have a family. We're having our son. All these things should have been enjoyment for me and enjoying it as I was in the moment and savoring those experiences. But it was, I was more proud that I had paid my wedding off before the vows were said than actually marrying the person that I love. You know, I was more proud of that achievement. And that was a big error that I made because that wasn't the marker of success. The great Wayne Dyer had, I had learned from in, in one of his talks later on. And I said, I wish I had heard this at some other point in my life. But I believe that I had been hearing this all throughout is that when you get 50000 in the bank, you're going to want $100,000 in the bank. And that once you get 100, you're going to want more and more and more. And that those experiences, you get that hedonic adaptation, it just wears off after a while. And if we're chasing it, and I was chasing these different levels, you know, like a video game, you know, chasing that next level, but I wasn't enjoying the level I was currently in. So it was a, a very many points in my life and there was a, you know, an up and down cycle that I was going through. So you had that, that awareness for sure and saw that. Why do you think you didn't listen to it sooner? I didn't believe it. I just didn't believe it. I said, oh, that's, that's for somebody else. You know, that's for, that's what rich people say, or that's what, you know, somebody that's successful is telling me that when I get to that person's status, then I'll feel successful. So I just kept replaying that same loop all the time of that's for somebody else. That's not for me. Where do you think you got that idea of you being, it's almost a less than, right? Like putting yourself almost one down relative to these people. Where do you think that originated for you? I believe that originated from always not feeling enough, you know, always not feeling adequate or enough and goes all the way back to, you know, growing up where one friend had an expensive car and I was driving the, the lesser car. This person was going to law school and I was working at a body shop. It, so it always was followed me throughout this thing. So I always had that feeling and let myself believe the story of I was lesser. So I, I always let myself believe that, that story. And once I decided to challenge that story and own the space that I was in currently, that's when everything changed, Steve. When we start confronting these stories that we have that are not serving us, that are not accurate, that is indeed transformative. And I totally want to come back around to that. Before we go there, I want to even dial back a little bit further. I'm curious what you learned or what you can recall learning in childhood in the earlier parts of your life about time and about success and what kind of lessons or stories you might remember taking and whether those influenced 
the stories you were operating under uh, until you sorted things out. You know, as far as growing up, my father was always working. Uh, he was a mechanic and he was always the guy that was helping everyone else. You know, he would make sure that the little lady next door had her brakes done and, and he would hear her coming up the driveway with her squeaky brakes and say, hey, I could fix that for you. And always giving back, you know, something that I realized recently was that a lot of times he would never charge people for his, his service. So I, I do believe at some point I, I saw that valuable service not being paid for, not having the ownership of, well, this is a really important thing. If Mrs. Jones's brakes fail, you know, she's going to take out the, the neighborhood of garages. So him not valuing his service and, you know, doing things for next to nothing and being afraid to charge and stuff like that. I think that really, and everybody liked him, maybe because he was doing the brakes for free. I don't know. But yeah, that was definitely something that I saw in life. One other story that shaped me was I saw people that worked for their family, the family business. I knew they had dreams and aspirations and hopes outside of their own family's business. And I remember seeing that as, well, that's kind of selfish. You know, this person has dreams, hopes, aspirations. This person has things that they want to do. And the family business may not have been for them, but they never challenged that notion and were afraid to go outside of the bounds of the family, so to speak, and say, well, this is what I would rather do. And this is what I'm interested in. So I, I always observe that and um, still continue to this day, observe and listen for people that have dreams, hopes, desires, things that they really want to do and encourage them to do it and get out there and, and you know, be brave, be bold. This challenge of pursuing our own dreams while still being mindful of and serving and supporting others is one that a lot of people really do wrestle with. There's the folks who are just utterly selfish and don't care about anyone else. Then there's the folks who are utterly selfless. Uh, sounds like your dad might've fallen at least sort of into that category, which will make you a lot of friends and have you very well liked, but it'll also burn you out and leave you broke. And I think most of us are trying to find some kind of balancing act I'm curious for you about your experiences and journey of sorting that out, of learning to be mindful of your wants, hopes, and dreams, but to do so in a way that is also mindful of the bigger picture. It really helped when I, uh, I slowed down for a minute, examined my life. Coming out of burnout, I didn't really know what to do. Really wasn't sure. Um, the only thing I did know to do was we had this beautiful thing called the internet and you can search pretty much anything. And it really came to me in the form of educating myself and going after piece by piece the, the little problem that I was having. I didn't own one book, one book pre-burnout. It was embarrassing. Okay to tell now, but I had a business. I owned a business. I did not have one business book. And that journey of education for myself and reading and learning that I didn't know everything. I remember hearing a talk, I believe, by Jim Rohn, and he said, your mother-in-law will never change. The Democrats will always be the Democrats and the Republicans will always be the Republicans. Government will always be government. There's going to be hurt and loss and despair in this world. So for anything to ever change, 
you have to change. And that hit me right between the eyes, Steve. So where can I change? What can I change? How can I go about running a business that I, I now I like to do it because it's been profitable for my family. We've, we have our employees have been empowered. It, the wealth and the worth that it's created for people and the ability to change folks' life after a car accident. I, I had to own that that was valuable. And when I started owning that what I did had value, I said, well, what else do I do that adds value to people? And I started asking. I, it was very humbling to start asking people, what am I really good at? Because I didn't know. I never had examined myself to say, hey, you're really good at this. And I remember getting feedback from people, and it was so hard to ask for that feedback. So I want to ask you about one thing here, because yeah, it's exactly the kind of thing that I think a lot of people are afraid of doing. It's, it's a super powerful tool when you use it, because you'll get so much useful data. But I think on some level, a lot of people are afraid that what they're going to hear back is, well, you're just a loser in some form. But how did you address your fears or anxieties about asking? How, what was it that you did to you know, start asking, to start seeking that feedback there? I kept going back to the day that I went to the hospital and I said, do I want to go back to this place? Do I want life to be what it was before? If the answer still no today, then I keep going. If it's still no tomorrow, keep going. And that, Steve, was one of the hardest things I had to do. And I remember a book that I read, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living by Dale Carnegie, and he described day-tight compartments. Depression is when we live in the past and anxiety is when we live too much in the future. And when I just started living in today's day and I said, okay, well, how can I be my best today? Can I be kinder? Can I go to get coffee and buy the person's coffee behind me? That's a small win. That's a small step because then you are that person that you, you want to become. You are acting like the person that you admire, that future self that you admire. So now you're not anxious of what am I going to become? I said, if I was a CEO of a major company and I wanted to grow this company, the CEO of my own life here, how would I grow that company? How would I improve this company that's called Joe Perone? And I would have to have a board of directors. I would have to have people in my corner to tell me where I was going wrong and be open to hear that. So I basically created this board of directors and I, I can't tell you that it was easy, but I did it day by day, connection by connection. I, I think you hit something important too, this day by day, connection by connection. It's so easy for us to build these things into big, scary monsters, but it sounds like what you did is really broke it down into smaller little pieces, one thing at a time, one conversation at a time, one change, one small improvement at a time. And the power and the beauty of that is there's a less chance of being depressed and there's a less chance of being anxious. And there's a 100% chance of finding opportunities for yourself where you never would ever see them before because you're present in today. You live today's day. There's going to be a bill tomorrow. There's going to be somebody asking or looking for something. If, of course there is. But if I could just manage today, if I could manage these next 24 hours and take care of what I need to take care of for myself, for my family, 
for the people that I know and love, make a connection for somebody. You know, I love sending texts out first thing in the morning. So if I'm going to be on social media too often, how can I use this as a tool to benefit somebody else? Instead, the old days were, let me see what I can get mad at and what grievance happened last night. And, you know, look at all the block watch sites. You know, it's so easy to go on there and go down a rabbit hole. But if I went on there intentionally and said, boy, Steve put out a great podcast and had a great person on. Can I listen this morning and can I send Steve some love and send his guests some love and maybe even connect with his guests and tell them how much I found value in that? And did I do it every day, Steve? No. Some mornings I woke up and I didn't feel like doing it. But when I made a habit of doing it, that's when it had the most power and the most value. And that's where my the best connections I've ever made have come from. The power of habit is hard to overstate. There's a lot of great work out there on that, whether we talk about James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, or Charles Duhigg's work on the power of habit, are both great books. So that's one thing that will uh, preemptively be an answer to the question I'm about to ask, which is how do you prevent yourself or try and avoid lapsing or getting pulled into the spaces of either worrying about the past or the future, or I should say maybe ruminating about the past or worrying about the future, right? How do you keep that depression, that anxiety, how do you keep those from grabbing and hooking you and pulling you away from the present? One word, ego. I had to just beat that thing down and say, you can't change what's going to happen tomorrow. I can't pull the string up and make the sun go up tomorrow. I can't go backwards and change anything. It's impossible. When I just learned that and learned that the world doesn't revolve around Joe Perone, or, or a collective part of this whole universe and life is a, a total gift, right? We don't have to pay it. We have to pay anything to be here. This was a gift that we're given. So if I get mad about something that was said yesterday or something that could be said tomorrow, or who's not going to buy from me tomorrow? Or who didn't buy from me yesterday? Or who didn't like my post or who said something or I'm going to post something tonight. And what if nobody likes it? I can't post it with any ego. I can't post it as Joe on this, going back to the ivory tower. I can't post it from the people that I despised and said, they're just talking from their high tower. I have to post from a place of love. I have to post it from a place of service. And I know that what my actions will be today. I know when I buy that person the coffee behind me in line, I just have to know that that made their day better. I, I can't think too much about it and overthink. And that's where we get trapped in in the overthinking instead of doing when i burned out was i was over i overthought everything well what if this well, what if what if what if well the what ifs never came and i audited that and i remember somebody else that i had listened to you know we would read so many books and listen to so many things and it was like 99 percent of things that we worry about will never happen anyways i had read that a hundred times until i actually lived it and said oh okay wait a minute Joe, has any of this stuff you worried about ever happened? No. So it's one of those things that we all hear. But yeah, until you test it, I, I think that's a super important point. We can talk about ideas and people can read books all day long, but until you actually take action on these things, and that, that's what you're talking about with this audit is, you went and tested it. You're like, well, let's see, is that true? And that's really powerful because that really connects us to the reality in a much better way. 
coming back to your timeline. So you hit this wall, you've got your auto repair shop, you hit the wall, you stop, take a step back. You're like, all right, I got to make some shifts here. And from that, you make the decision to become a coach and focus on the area of time. Connect the dots for us from auto repair shop to time management coach. I I love the pivot, but I want to understand how you went from point A to point B there. Start going through this whole personal development journey. It'll go on to the day I die. One of the things I learned most valuably along the way is is leadership and how the one of the biggest gifts that we can give other people is empowering them to be their best selves. And it sounds so hokey and so woo-woo, but you know, Zig Ziglar says, if you want to get something, you got to help as many people as you can get what they're looking looking to get. So I said, can I practice this? Can I audit that? Can I do that? And I began to work with the people that worked for me. That's where I spent most of my time. And I said, how can I add value? How can I be a true leader, not a boss? I don't want to be a boss. I don't want a title. I want people to do really well here. I want people to have the experience now that I have where I had gone from Yeah, I'm going to the shop today to, I really enjoy helping people manage the stress of their car accident, right? Because second to a health crisis, being in a major car accident, is really stressful. So I wanted people that worked for our company to see that in the light that I saw that in. You asked about how I became a coach. That's where I became a, I didn't know I was a coach then, but I was just doing I was truly treating people the way I wanted to be treated. I wanted people to have the experience that I had. And when we got to this place of loving our clients and we reached out and we were kind and we were compassionate and had empathy, our group of guys is the most compassionate, empathetic group of guys. And women come into our shop and they're like, this is so relaxing having this experience here. And even our slogan in our company is relax. It was an accident. And we've taken that relax thing, but that was my first entry into coaching. And now as people would see, other business owners would see our success and we were kind of the little engines that could, and we're, you know, we're super successful and having a good time. And it just shows up in the world when you're having a good time and people love you and they, you know, you don't have to ask for reviews. People are just tweeting and sending stuff out and posting pictures before and after their cars. And it's amazing. That just shows up big time for, for other business owners. They're going, well, I want my business to look like that. I want, I want that culture in my business. As a business, I didn't understand how the business of coaching worked. And that was another milestone for me in my life where I didn't realize what coaching was and what coaching wasn't. And it wasn't until I hired my own coach that I understood what coaching was and what coaching was not. And so with all of this though, this is all talking about serving and being of service to others, which is great, but service without boundaries, speaking of recipes for burnout. (laughs) So I'm wondering, as you're doing this and and things are expanding and shifting, how did you manage time, energy, stress, so you didn't just end up with a new form of burnout? The boundaries with the body shop, I'm writing a piece right now about when I learned those boundaries. We had a client in the shop that was a, a 
pretty significant piece of our business every month. And we had to fire that client. That was one of the things that I had to do to start building my own time freedom for getting out of the business more, working on my business. And it was holding me back so much that, you know, 80-20 rule, it was 80% of my headaches. Having that ability to reestablish boundaries and learn what's right for us and get really clear. We had to get really clear on who we were and who we weren't. Go back to the audit. Why am I doing this? Am I doing this for me, for my ego? Should I be saying no to this? And really examining as far under a microscope as you want to put it, why you're doing what you're doing. And that's what I had to do. And there were, you know, the phone call, you know, Steve, you get that phone call and you know, you shouldn't pick up and some of us pick it up and some of us don't, but it could drag on to an hour long conversation. And then if you could take it on your way home from work or somewhere where you're very vulnerable and then you take that home or you take that to work or you take that to a, another relationship or to a, a business meeting and you take that energy or that drain of energy is that's a boundary that I just didn't have. And when I learned that that's where my energy was going, oh, that's where, that's where your hour is going. That's where your two hours is going. When I started really examining all that and, and really know where time is going, where my energy is going, well, then it was easy to live in that day and say, okay, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to start my day the first hour for me. I'm going to meditate. I'm going to have my coffee. I'm going to write in a gratitude journal. These things that are before burnout were woo-woo and how dare you tell me to write in a gratitude journal. I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm burned out. I don't have time to sit here and write in my gratitude journal. No. Now, that was, now that's important. Now that refocuses me in that day tight compartment that I'm living in and set those boundaries for today. Set those boundaries within that day because there's only 24 hours and hopefully you're sleeping eight out of those 24 hours. Creating those boundaries in that time that you're given is one of the most important keys that we can have. I think boundaries are utterly essential. And if we don't have them and aren't really clear about them and honoring them, it's definitely a recipe for trouble. On, on a related note, I think focus is something that also matter, matters a whole lot. I'm curious what your take is about how much the average person is is losing in the way of quantify it however you like, but how much is the the average person losing as it relates to productivity because of poor focus and or poor boundaries? I'll throw in a dollar amount because that's what I did for myself. When I was burnt out, completely burnt out, I had it as I was losing about 40,000 a year. That's a huge number. And I came to that number because I knew what I made per hour. And I said, okay, Audit that time. All right, what are you doing in a week's time? And it was TV, social media, watching the news, answering those phone calls I should have been answering, doing those activities that weren't bringing me any return on an investment. They weren't building me up emotionally. They weren't helping me. They weren't helping my spirit. I wasn't making any money. It wasn't a, a money producing activity. It wasn't helpful to my business. And there was no return on that investment. You know, it was the equivalent of, you know, the lottery winner hitting Powerball and then going buying all kinds of crap and then being bankrupt in six months. So that was the equivalent of what I was doing with my time. 
And, you know, I do consider our time as a, we're a lottery winners. What's it, a one, one in 400 trillion chance that we were even here? You know, that, that, that one. Our time here is precious. It's valuable. Going back to auditing, I, I love, I just love that because it gets us grounded to where's my time and spent? Where's my energy spent? I don't want that $40,000 to be out of my life. I want to be able to, Build social capital, build spiritual capital, build you know financial capital. I want to be able to build that, invest it, and get an ROI on it. Truly in, invest into myself so that I'm I'm better equipped to help others. It seems like there's so much potential there for really almost everyone. I know even for myself, thinking about it, there's you know spaces where I just know that there's time and energy that's leaking out that could be directed in a more thoughtful or constructive way, whether that's towards work, whether that's towards recharging and recovery, which is certainly important as well. As we are working towards talking about the coaching work that you do around time and time management and all of that, which I want to talk about that topic for sure. I want to, though, before we do that, hear some about your path of establishing yourself as a coach, how you've gone about building that piece of the business up and what have been both some of the the successes and exciting parts, but also what have been some of the challenging or difficult parts and how you've navigated through all that. Getting into coaching and the, the, the mechanics of the coaching it really was coming in with a blank slate and saying, okay, you know, going back to understanding what coaching was and what coaching wasn't. And I believe that if I wanted to be a business coach or if I wanted to be a time freedom coach or anything that I wanted to coach another human being on and help them with, I needed to have a coach. I thought that was, you know, most important. I had somebody watching me every step of the way, helping me. They've gone the road ahead of me and not just diving into, hey, I'm going to just start helping people out because that could be misguided. And if you're not coaching the right way, or if you just, you know, went on to get a certificate for coaching and had no direction of where your work was going to go, you know, you could be making a, a huge mistake and you would start attracting people that weren't a good fit for you. If you want to buy a Lamborghini and a, and a plane, I'm probably not the guy for you. If you want to spend more time with your kids and get creative and have just this fun, amazing experience with your family and empower other people to live their best lives with their family and have time freedom to do all the things that you, you want to do and live your dreams. Those are good fits for me. Besides hiring a coach, what were the other pieces that you needed to, to put in place or actions you needed to, to take as part of getting your coaching business going and established? I really had to own that spot, that space of Joe Perrone, the go-to business coach. I thought it was business coaching at first. And my coach had helped me really fine tune that message of, okay, what do people see when they just click your LinkedIn profile and they click on your Instagram profile? What do they see? What are they seeing? You know, are they seeing you going out and drinking on a Friday night? Are they seeing you posting pictures of cracked up cars? You know, what is the connection? You know, why would I call Joe Perone for this? Why, why would you be seen as this person? So it was really working with that who do you help? Why do you help them? Why is this important to the world? Why does this matter? So on the technical side, just having all of those pieces 
ready, you know, as I start going off into the world and, and promoting myself as a business coach, a time freedom coach, you know, I don't even like the word coach. I love helping people get to that place, getting to their pool, beach, lakefront on a random day and just not living for those two days a week. We, we love to say, thank God it's Friday. Well, I like, thank God it's Monday. So to, to get people to that message, all roads need to point to the lifestyle that you're trying to share with others. That's, that's truly possible. So really building something that shows and makes it clear when people find you or see you, they go, okay, this is who this guy is. This is what he's about. But as any of us who have ever done business know, it's not like field of dreams and you can build it and make it beautiful and perfect. But just because you build it doesn't mean anyone's coming. So how you, have you dealt with that piece of, of the puzzle? I believe that's the master key to why this is so much fun. Making the connections with people and going back to those day tight compartments and when, when we wake up in the morning and what are we looking for and going from that place of service. So who can I help? What's the problems that they could be facing and the messaging that I create and I put out? How is that in service to somebody? Let's talk about time freedom, as you put it, which I think is, is a great way to, to put it. But tell me, first off, let's start there. Why do you use the phrase time freedom versus time management, which is kind of the more commonly used term around this? Time freedom to me means having that time to do the things you love to do when you love to do them. And time and freedom are, I feel like, are natural fits together because you could have all the freedom in the world, but if you don't have the time, it doesn't really make sense. You could have all the time in the world you wanted, but if you had no freedom, you know, guy in jail, he's got all the time in the world. He's got no freedom. You know, guy making $10 million a year that can never escape the office, he could do whatever he wants, but he has no time. When you join time freedom, I think that that's the good mix between the two. So it's really freedom and time. It's the two of these things. It's really the intersection of the two is what I'm hearing for you. And that's why you're naming it and labeling it that way, which makes a ton of sense to me. Yes. What would you say in your experience, do you see are the biggest uh, mistakes or errors people make as it relates to time using and structuring their time that get in the way of having time and freedom? Simply, they don't know what they want. Simple as that. They don't know what they want, and they've never sat down and thought about what they want. Earl Nightingale starts off the strangest secret. People these days don't think. It's so true. Because what we think about is what will manifest in our lives, how we go about our thoughts. They dictate our actions, and our actions will dictate our consequences and circumstances in life. And that's how it runs. So when you know, my five keys to time freedom. Number one used to be getting clear. When I started doing the first iteration of it, it was get clear. Anybody can get clear, but what if you didn't slow down first to take that time to get clear? So I added in slow down. So slow down was the first one. And slowing down was so important because most people were saying, well, I, I don't have time to write my goals down 
and I don't have time to write my dreams down. I don't have time to, to write a gratitude journal. I don't have time. Okay, if you, Zig Ziglar, again, I'll, I'll, t- I'll use his reference because it's brilliant. If I called you tomorrow, Steve, and I said, I got two free tickets. You could take anybody you want, go fly to Italy. All expenses paid, but you got to leave tonight. I got to leave tomorrow morning. You would find a way to get everything off your plate in that next seven days. You would call who you had to call. You would figure it out. So I always took that and I said, okay, why can't you have coffee with your wife, Joe, in the morning? Why, why can't you just stop and have, you know, take 15 minutes and enjoy a cup of coffee with your wife in the morning? Can we cook dinner when we get home and have a dinner time that we, we all can agree on a, a good time to eat and sit as a family and, and share the day and s- slow down and eat the meal in peace and not rush through it? Can we eliminate a few things in our day so that can happen? And can we set a time to, to go to bed so we can rest, so we have energy for tomorrow? And instead of just flying through a day, can we have our morning routine? Can we have our afternoon routine? Can we have our, our nightly routine? And what can we build into those little routines that would be fun, that would really make that day a masterpiece what besides the time piece and the or the going too fast piece what else do you see that gets in the way of people being clear about what they want unhappiness comes when we're limited on options we don't have options it's where a lot of people are unhappy so i think it it hinders people when they don't think enough of themselves they say i couldn't have that option and that's a possibility. And for me, that's where reading was so valuable and hearing people's stories that came from far less than I had ever had and, and made you know success in their own iteration. And that showed me so many possibilities. So the hundreds uh, you know, of books that I've read really gave me insight to having other options, seeing other ways of life, seeing things through a different lens. And once I was able to see things through a different lens, I was able to, now this is another possibility that I can model for somebody else that might want to have more time with their family. And a front lawn picnic is just as cool as a European vacation. You know, there's options. Maybe you don't like the beach. Well, the pool might be an option. Maybe you don't like, maybe you don't have the means for either. Well, can you go on a hike five minutes from your house? Create options for yourself. And then as you create options, Knowing what you want, what do you like to do? Did that work for you? Test these these theories out. Well, I don't like this type of food. You know, I have a friend that didn't like Mexican food. Oh, I don't like Mexican food. When we were able to bring them to the Mexican restaurant, let them slow down for a minute, they're like, I love Mexican food. And now, you know, that's an option for them. So that's a cool way they spend their, their taco Tuesday. But that's fun. That's life. And I think what you're saying, this is, is such an important point that people don't always think of is the, like the idea of when we see other people and their stories and their journeys, there's a value that can be gleaned there from seeing other possibilities. Now, I think the risk is, and this is especially true for a lot of the folks I work with is them treating that story as if that's the way it should be, or just adopting it wholesale versus seeing it more as here's an option. It's a menu. You could pick something from it, or you could not, or it might give you an idea. But I think that definitely it's a great tool that people can use to get 
uh, a broader palette of things that they know know to choose from to help them to get clear. She was saying, so that not knowing what they want, one of the big obstacles to people making the most of their time. What are the other things you would say are the, the primary mistakes that people make or challenges that, that people have that get in the way of the time freedom that we all on some level, I think, want? I think you just said it brilliantly, Steve, following what other people like. That's a hindrance to getting what you want is thinking that what you want is what somebody else has. And that's a mistake I made. I think it's a mistake all of us have made. Yeah, no, but you know, I could, I'll only speak from my own experience is that it might be close, you know, but knowing why you want something is so important and having that Simon Sinek, know your why. It's applicable to everything. It's applicable to your career, to your life, to why you go to the restaurants you like, that menu that you create. I, I love that, Steve, that menu that you create everybody's is going to be so much different. And that's where in our society, or sometimes, you know, our social media kind of becomes not such a great thing versus this great tool is because it's that comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. And when we're looking at what other people have and why we don't have that, instead of looking at it from a creation, what can I create today? I'm going to create this for myself. And here's why I'm going to create it because that's, this is what I like. So something as simple as going back and looking at those times in your life when you were most happy, when you were doing the things that you most love to do, or those connections and those people that really time just seems to suspend when you're with them, that will leave clues to where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to be doing and what is going to bring you the most joy, peace, happiness in life. And those are really good clues. So I can't tell you what is going to make you happy, but I can tell you what's not going to make you happy. And that's going to be chasing what other people have and their iterations of their own success. So I encourage people to look at those times when you were the most happy. Look at those times that you were felt the most freedom and drill deeper on those things and find out why that make you so happy. What, do you, what did you like so much about doing that? What did you like so much about that connection or that friend that you went for coffee with? This is one of my favorite places to point clients is exactly what you're talking about. When was it better? When was it more like what you wanted it to be? And exactly for the two reasons that you've identified there is on the one hand, it's okay. Oh yeah. I used to do this thing and I let go of doing that thing, but I love that thing. Okay. I should go back to it. But also we have the ability if we abstract ourselves a little bit from it and think about why that thing, like you said, why was that so much fun? Why was that so cool? That gives us the chance to go, Oh, where else might I get that sort of experience or that sort of thing? And that starts to add to the menu, right? Now, I know you've got your five keys for time freedom. So let's talk about the rest of those, what they are, how one practices them and all of that. So we talked about slowdown. We talked about getting clear. You know, the third key is doing less. And it was inspired by Greg McCune, essentialism, and it was do less, but better. So going to those quality options. And Doing less wasn't necessarily you know, sit on the couch and eat Cheetos. Doing less was just about finding those things that aren't productive. They aren't, they aren't bringing ROI. I believe we talked about that earlier. And then the, the next key was scheduling time for yourself. That was one of the things that for me, I didn't schedule a lot of time for myself. 
I want to ask, what does that look like? I could put an hour on the calendar that says Steve, but then, so what, then what? Tell me more about scheduling time for yourself. Like, how do you go about doing that? And how do you suggest that your clients go about doing it? It started for me with, you know, reading meditation, really getting back to that grounding part of renewing my mind daily. I found a meditation that I can do. And I found that my blood pressure, my energy, like everything was just, ah, oh, it was calm. That was my baseline for the whole day. And hey, when something really works, you want that feel, you know, when you're living in that daytight compartment. Well, tomorrow, let's try that again. And you know, once you try it for 60 days, it becomes a, a lifelong habit. So scheduling that time, yeah, it's important. But it looked like for me was meditation. It was sending out that, what can I send out in the world? What can I create today? Can I, can I send somebody a connection? That energy took me through the whole day. That was better than coffee. That was an, a total energy shifter for me that now, as I drove into the body shop to go help that person that had been in an accident, I wasn't in a stressed out, burned out, me, me, me mentality. I was in a place of service and I started my day in service and I started my day in that renewal of my mind. And it was a calming, relaxing energy that I was able to carry into my, in my day. So it affected everything else. And now as I work with clients, it's so valuable because I can listen better. I can understand better. I can perceive what they're saying and listen a lot deeper. And it's not about me, me, me. And what do I need? And what do I need out of this? And do I need this validation? Do I need this? Do I need to be right? Do I need to interject my point on this? No, I can just listen and just relax and be me and do the work and show up for this person in the best way that I know possible. So in the context of that day, scheduling that, that you time where you could recenter, reconnect, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be this you know, big process. It could be simple as just finding something that works for you that brings your energy into that calm, focused state. What it sounds like is really the idea of getting yourself centered and calm and focused and clear so that you're really in a more optimal space to be able to take action from. Yes. I'm not in a reactive state. If you've been proactive and been in service to every connection that you've made, and proactive in the connection with your business partner, with your employees, with your spouse, with your family, you know, I have contractors at my house now working, been proactive with them and treated them with respect and dignity and gone into your relationship in a calm manner. You're never in reactive mode takes you out of reaction mode. I, the only way I had to, I could learn it was practice it and see it for myself. I've heard it a million times, but at some point a colleague observed, they said, it just seems like you're just so relaxed. How's, how's that even possible? You have a lot going on. You have two repair business. You have a coaching business. Um, you have two little kids that are banging on your door and wanting your attention. How do you not, how do you not lose it? Just snap. Cause I know why they're doing what they're doing. It's okay. They're living their lives. They're doing what they want to do. They know that 
that their parents love them. They know that, you know, for my employees, they know that they're not going to get in trouble if they make a mistake. You know, my business partner, we have such a great relationship because we communicate and the space that we communicate in is from a space of what can we create? Not how are we not going to get screwed today? So we can create out of abundance and not out of scarcity and lack. I think that mindset, that framing of the idea of abundance versus scarcity is such a huge one. And I think it's, again, one of those things that when you haven't played with it and actually tried to engage it, it sounds like the biggest bunch of woo-woo garbage. (laughs) But it's not like thinking that magically changes things, but it does change how we see things and how we approach things. And there's a lot that follows from that that's real powerful. And it sounds like that's been your experience there as well. Yeah. Being in the abundance mindset, you're right. It, it does seem woo woo and BS, but when you stop and you think about what are we really owed here? We came into a world that we have all that there's all that there ever is or will be is already here. Nothing's going to get trucked into the universe. It's all already here. The meaning of life, so to speak, is to put those pieces together and experience life in our own way. And if we're all chasing the same ideal or the same dollar or the same, you know, I don't believe in competition. I connect with hundreds of coaches. I connect with many auto body and repair shop owners. I connect with many business owners. I don't believe in the competition. I believe in service. What's in service? And when we come from that place of that abundant service, and if there's anything scarce or lacking, it's a service first mindset and that giving go giver mindset. I, I wish I could argue with you on that point, but I, I would have to agree. Sadly, that's, that is an area where there's a lot of, where things are lacking. There's a lot of opportunity there as well for someone who is willing to really focus on that in the way that you do. Now back to time freedom, time for yourself. What else do people need to do to help create time freedom for themselves. It's that daily renewal. And I believe in giving and gratitude. The fifth key is the daily renewal and action. Take Actually taking action. You mentioned earlier about reading, but not just reading. Read that act. Act those books out that you've read and test. And maybe, you know, there's books I've read that, that weren't for me, but they were for me because I was able to share that with somebody else and something that maybe just didn't work quite right for me, but I know it worked for somebody else and it worked for the person that I read it from. And that's where, where, where giving comes in so brilliantly. And I love to tell my clients, I love to tell anybody that will listen that think outside of the box when it comes to giving. You know, there's so many things that we could give that aren't uh, money and resources. You know, we can give attention and focus giving the gift of listening to somebody, listening with the intent of just understanding them versus listening to them for gossip for later or listening to them so you can butt in and and object or argue, but listening to somebody, giving that gift of a listening ear to someone. I believe it's one of the best gifts you can give anyone because nobody's listened to. So when we can give that to somebody else, I believe that we'll get that in return. People will understand us better when we understand people and take that responsibility to listen. And that's where coaching is valuable too, because there's many business owners that are smart people. 
They're really smart people. They've built a successful business. They've built wealth for themselves. They've built a life that would be the envy of many, but they don't feel like they're free. They don't feel like they're successful. And if somebody just listened to them and heard their story and what was, what's the underlying thing, most of the time they'll discover it on their own, you know, and they, they need time to just work that out, work that conversation out. So that's why I believe coaching is very valuable. I think you're absolutely right about the power and, and value of attention and focus as gifts that can be provided that are sadly things that I think many people don't get enough of right now. So again, it's the good part is there's an opportunity there. The bad part is there is, I think, a real lack in our world. Could you tell us any other examples of outside of the box sorts of giving that you have done that you could share with us? When we give the gift of listening, we also can find the gift of, and this worked really well in our business, was give the gift of options to other people. We talked about happiness comes in when we are when we have options. So if we can give options to other people, we've we've done this in our business. We've given people when they when they come on, well, what do you like to do? You know, what what are you really good at? And what do you what really makes you happy when you come in and work here? And giving people the option to say, I don't like to do that. Can we find somebody else to do this? You know, often we'll say, okay, well, what do you like to do? So we can have you do a little bit more of that so you can add value to the company. You know, giving the, that gift of options. Smile. Put a smile on your face. When you're out in public and you can smile and just be kind, that's a tremendous gift that exponentially makes the world a better place because you start that ripple and you're kind. And then five other people are kind. I experienced it with a McDonald's experience where the person, you know, the person in, in, in line thought the, the girl at McDonald's just had this beautiful smile. You just made my day. And she, she bought everybody in McDonald's breakfast. It was maybe like a hundred bucks or something like that. Just because this one girl that worked at McDonald's was smiling, she bought everybody breakfast. Well, that story doesn't end there. I went in there maybe three or four days later and same girl was working and I said, man, that was amazing the other day. You know, your smile affected a lot of people. And she said, well, the story didn't end there. She said, somebody walked out of here and must have told somebody else that they knew that came in here later in the day and did the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's great. So think about the... 12 people that were in McDonald's that day, including myself, now because now I'm sharing with this with you, and this is going to be shared with your listeners. I've written about this. So that one girl's smile and kindness, and then that person's kindness to, to buy breakfast for everyone. Think about that ripple from one smile. I love <laughs> that you've brought this up, this concept. Well, it's a great story because it's like that's a, that's a super cool and fun story. And the point that it's illustrating, right, about the ripple effect. And this is something I've known for years. And I think that it's so important for those of us who are in the world of serving others to remember that we don't get to see a lot of the effect of what we do, but that we really would do well to trust that indeed there are ripples. And that's so even if we don't see them, they're there, they have an effect. And part of making the work sustainable, I think, for all of us is recognizing that and learning to trust that so we can keep putting the things out there, throwing the stones out in the water or whatever, so that those ripples continue to be 
created and trust they'll they'll go somewhere and they'll touch things. And if enough of us are doing that, it's going to make a big difference. I totally agree, Steve. I have one more giving yeah. uh, tip that I really would be remiss if I did not give you. And it's the hardest giving of all, and it costs you nothing, but it's the hardest one to do. Can I share it? Please do. It's give forgiveness. And it was something for me personally that was a big cause of stress for me and anxiety and depression and living in that, that day compartment of life and trying to have freedom. You cannot have freedom when you're holding grudges, when you're holding anger against somebody. And forgiveness is, is often misunderstood as you have to validate that what happened was okay and the person was okay. No, forgiveness is something you actually give yourself. And man, the second I learned that, I had to incorporate that in every day of someone, someone was just as much as somebody was kind to me. Was somebody short with me on the phone? Did somebody leave a bad review for me or did somebody not return a phone call or minor things, but then major things? You know, I had a family member that we were really close family member that we had an issue and it was a pretty big issue. And I held on to it for two, for a long time. And that it was in the midst of my burnout and I held on to that and that was like gasoline and on every reaction that I had because when an employee came to me with a problem, I just still had that bitterness and that, I just still had that angst in every interaction, had a little touch of this person in that, my, my anger towards this person in my interaction. Once I forgave them, let that go, that's where my healing began. That's where I was able to come from that place of service and love and compassion and empathy towards people. So I really encourage forgiveness as a, a great tool for yourself to have another piece of freedom that you give to yourself and it, it will carry through to somebody else. It will show up so beautifully for other people when they see you as this forgiving person. You don't hold a grudge. You don't have anger to somebody. It doesn't mean you have to say that this person is great and you're going to just keep calling them and keep working with them, but you can just forgive them and let that energy go. I'm glad that you brought this up because it's it is a really important and, and valuable point. Forgiveness and excusing something are not the same. Forgiveness and acting as if a thing never happened are not the same. Forgiveness and forgetting are not the same. And what you're really talking about is the specific piece of letting go of this being a thing that gets your time and energy and attention. I think a lot of folks conflate forgiveness and forgetting but they're not the same at all. One can forgive and whatnot while still holding on to the awareness of what's not okay or what happened or what needs to be repaired. So I, I think that's a really good point. What I want to make sure we take a little time to talk about before we wrap up here is about the shift that is now starting to happen as we proceed into the next phase of COVID and the pandemic and all of that. And we're seeing people starting to go back to offices or people starting to rethink about this whole thing of like, how is work going to look going forward? I'm curious for your thoughts about how this will affect time and managing of time and all of that. I think a lot of I think a lot of tough but necessary conversations are going to have to happen. One thing I will say is I have seen a lot more 
understanding and flexibility from peers, colleagues, other business owners of how they value the people that they have and how well they did during the pandemic working from home. And, you know, I had one business owner that I am, am very close with, and he had a guy that just didn't want to work in the office during the pandemic. And he said, I don't blame you. And the guy worked from home, his productivity just went through the roof. And I believe that two things are going to have to happen. I think number one, employers, companies are going to have to really be clear on what they expect from their employees and set those boundaries. And the employees are going to have to have a conversation with their companies or with their clients or whatever that looks like and be really, really clear what they are, what they're not, and own that space. Hey, you do a really good job at X. Well, really, you could really do a really good job at X anywhere. We can't work on the cars from our house, but we can be flexible with our employees. If one of my employees has a wife that now is working from home, can we be more flexible with him with his time? Yes, of course we can. But we have to be clear on what the boundaries are, what that has to look like, and be mindful of the reality that, you know, the time has to be flexible and, and people have lives. Life shouldn't revolve around your business. You know, your business is one piece of your life. You know, we're grateful for our businesses. We're grateful for our, our careers. So grateful for all of that. But when it becomes, you know, going back to how we were doing things, if it was working for you, and you had time freedom, and you were able to do the things that you wanted to do, and you had that life that you really wanted, then great. Just go back to business as usual. But if it wasn't working, and if you were stressed, and you were burned out, and the pandemic burned you out even further, and you were you know, being piled on with more demands and more rules and regulations and things, and it just did not seem like it was bringing out the best in you, and you were doing what you truly love to do, I'm speaking to this person that is really good at something, they're really brilliant at something, and the world needs this person's services because they are really good at it. And it's a service that only they can provide in their own unique way. So I would encourage some boldness coming out of this and encourage people that have that gift to identify it, get clear about why they like what they do, and the value they provide the world with it. If you're a small business owner, if you're a solopreneur, if you work for a corporation, I would just identify what you're really good at. And coming out of this pandemic and going back to whatever your normal is, just double down on that gift and double down on what you're really good at and the value that you provide. If you're still really good at that and you just double down on that gift that you were given and what you like to do, you're going to make this world your world of business a better place because they're going to see you as this the phoenix rising from the ashes so to speak and people are going to want to support those people that were adding value and that were doing you know amazing things and i feel like they're going to be even in higher demand now than they ever were before so i would encourage people to get out there and own your gift and don't be afraid to make a move if you need to make a move Make that move. Somebody is going to value what you do brilliantly. I think everyone, yes, would do well to work on 
owning their gifts. And there are some unique opportunities at this particular moment in history to be able to, I think, do some things with that as it relates to time, workplace, and, and such. So for you, Joe, what do you see as next for you and your world and your business? What's next for me is I want to meet that next person. I want to meet that next person that says, yeah, Joe, tell me more. Tomorrow, I hope I meet that person. Next week, I hope I meet that person. But what's next for me is just the fun, the pure enjoyment, and the happiness that it brings me to help another human being find that. Because I found it, and it, it's really, really cool. And it's fun. Life's really fun. And to help someone else find that a little quicker than I have, with a little less pain than I, it took me to find that, that's really cool. For you then, what I'm hearing is things are dialed in a really good way for you. And it's about really continuing to move forward on the path that you've gotten yourself lined up on. Yes. What do you see as the biggest obstacles or challenges for you in continuing to do the, that? The daily challenges and obstacles, you know, fighting, fighting the ego. You know, sometimes we feel like we're not enough and we're not doing enough. We're not being enough. You know, I have it, I have it here on my desk. I know your listeners can't see it, but I, I put this on my desk. And it just says, I'm enough. For everyone who cannot see it, it says it like 15 times. That's <laughs> it's very visible. And one, one of those things you just can't miss. I'm a fan of putting sticky notes in highly visible places. And that would be a great example of one. <laughs> yeah. And so that's an obstacle. It's just, you know, the, the I'm enough. And we, we put out content and sometimes people won't like our content. There won't, there won't be the, the 17 thumbs up on our content, but it's reaching somebody. You know, you said it earlier. We don't know the the reach that we truly have. And, you know, quick story before we wrap up and as it relates to obstacles, you know, I was in a, you know, had that had that imposter syndrome, you know, who am I to, to be doing this? Kind of strangled my work a little bit and I, and I kind of stopped writing and I stopped putting content out. And when I realized that it wasn't about me, it was about the one person that I could help in the right possible time that I could help them. You know, I had a, I had a person reach out to me in the middle of all that. I believe that's just how life works. And they said, man, just keep posting that stuff because it really is helping me. And I looked back and there was not one like, there was not one comment, there was not one share. I, I didn't know that this person knew that I existed. So for anybody listening out there that faces a similar obstacle, you are enough, you are valuable, and you bring a unique perspective to this world. You have a unique gift. So don't let ego get in the way of blocking you from putting it out there. I agree. And I think that's a really important thing to hold on to is that our job is to plant seeds, put things out there, share ideas, share thoughts. And we do not always get to know who they touch if they touch anyone, how they touch someone or any of that. We labor under the delusion that we can know and we want to know. The reality is though exactly this, that there can be these things that you just, you have no idea who it touches and you don't know that it has until or unless they reach out to you. And so I think it's always more about putting good things out there. Right. It's kind of like what you were talking about with the energy. It's just another version of a smile, right? It's like putting that positive energy, these ideas, these concepts out there and doing it because it is a positive contribution to the world and leaving it there rather than doing it to get something. 
which is kind of a problematic transaction. It sure is. And, and I say kind of jokingly sometimes, some of the content I post out is stuff I need to hear myself. So, <laughs> so sometimes I'm just putting it out there for me and hoping that helps somebody else out. <laughs> There's a, a saying that goes something like, we teach what we most need to learn. And there have, there have been times I've had that happen where I'm working with a client on something and like half an hour after my call, I, I have this awareness of like, oh, I need to do what I just was talking to them about too. I'm, I'm, I need to hear this as well. Not a, not unusual uh, in, in the least. So Joe, if folks want to learn more about you, and get in touch with you, where is the best place for them to connect with you online? Best place to connect with me online is right on my website. It's joeperone.biz, P-E-R-R-O-N-E. And, you know, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I post regularly to LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram at joeperone.biz. So those are the best places to uh, reach me out at. And if I'm recalling correctly, Joe, also you have a like a thing that people can get to sign up and get the a copy of the your five keys for time freedom from your website correct yep if you go right on the website uh, you just pop in your email address and your first name a lot of people like to send you a thousand emails the emails that i will send out the first one will be the keys to time freedom you open it up check it out and then the the subsequent emails are just questions about the keys just getting feedback from the keys and and ways to implement the keys and I just, I don't like a lot of emails. I just want people to know when, when you do put your email in, the next email you're getting from me is, is something of value. I, I value your time and I value your valuable inbox space. So I don't want to clog it up. Thank you for that. And that seems in line with, with your personality. You're not exactly this super high energy intensity. Let's go do it, guys. So that seems very much in, in keeping with your personality. Thank you for taking the time to, to come on the podcast and sharing both your experiences, but also about the work that you do. I think it's such an important concept. Time is one of these things that so many people wrestle with. It keeps moving. We can't stop it. And it is something that is limited. It is finite. And we don't know how much time we're going to have. And so really thinking about how we use it and making the most of it is such an important and valuable thing. So I'm grateful that you're out there helping others to do that valuable work. So thank you. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm, I'm so happy to do this with you. It was, it was so much fun. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can get show notes, information about my coaching services, or just send me a note at sensitiverebel.com. Until next time, keep moving forward.